Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. So today it's me and I'm going to be talking about how to begin to break the cycle of binge eating and then relentless over exercise. And this is something, a topic that I've had many requests to talk more about this. Now, some of you may be listening and you might find yourself in these horrible cycles of having large out of control binge eating episodes that make you feel physically and emotionally drained. And then you feel compelled to try and burn off the calories through hours of excessive exercise. Now, when this happens, the exercise is not joyful. It's not happy movement. Rather, it's a relentless, punishing and punitive thing that has to be endured even if you're weary and exhausted, and it can go on for hours of the day. Now, some of my clients are wedded to their fitness trackers and having to walk numerous steps per day. This can sometimes involve extensive walks or pacing around the house to achieve their required step target. Or it can even involve like walking on the spot before getting into bed to achieve the number of steps that they think they should do for the day. Now, I think In the culture where we're just told to move, eat less, move more, that's a consistent message, isn't it? And sometimes I think we can forget that over-exercise is a problem. No amount of exercise can feel wrong, and you might even be outwardly praised for the amount of activity that you're doing, because I guess as well, no one's probably really understanding what's going on behind closed doors. They're seeing a snapshot of your life. So how do you begin to interrupt the cycle? Do you focus on binge eating first or do you focus on the overexercise first? Now, I think it is a bit of a chicken and egg scenario and there's no one right way of doing this as with many things. But I'm going to talk through some steps for you to consider and then maybe you think about how you can take this information and personally begin to interrupt your own cycle of binge eating and overexercise. So I always think the first step when we're engaging with any form of change, disordered eating behavior, is to get real about the problem. Because often we're in this relentless cycle, it's become normal, We've become quite distant from how harmful, how detrimental it has become to daily life. And it's just sort of become something that we do. So firstly, getting real about the problem. Overexercise is not healthy. You may be caught in a dangerous thought pattern where any amount of exercise is good, right, healthy, the thing to be doing, regardless of the costs. And also, if people are praising your overexercise, Don't trust this as a reliable feedback because someone praising you for your overexercise, they might have a tricky relationship with food and exercise themselves. But more importantly, as I said a few moments ago, they're praising one aspect of your behavior, not really knowing the truth of the situation. So they're kind of, you're not really getting objective feedback there. Now, of course, binge eating is healthy either. However, 
your overexercise might well be fueling your binge eating. You know, you're getting hungrier, getting tireder. So you turn to food to give you energy and to replace the deficit from overexercise and the cycle continues. So firstly, let's think a bit more about the reality of overexercising every day or however frequently you're doing it. So physically, you might be experiencing weariness and exhaustion from overexercise. You know, you might be having that thought before you go to the gym, before you do the exercise that, oh, this just feels like such a burden. I don't want to be doing it. You might be experiencing injuries like stress fractures, things like that, that just like little niggling injuries that don't go away and that you're kind of constantly having to sort of deal with them on a daily basis and really impacting your mood and well-being. Of course, for the longer term, you might be at risk of more things like osteoporosis. If you're over-exercising, maybe not having your period, it's going to impact your bone health for the longer term. Of course, I'm talking females here for the osteoporosis and menstrual cycle link. Dehydration as well, frequent injuries and poor immune functioning. Now, you know, often if you're over-exercising, you may just not be feeling optimal. You may be kind of catching all kinds of bugs because your immune system is really compromised. And what about the emotional and social symptoms as well? Now, I think sometimes as well, these can be so impactful because you might feel like you have to do all these steps or go to the gym for so many hours. So it prevents you socializing with your friends. It prevents you relaxing. You might feel increasingly isolated due to the demands of your routine. And you might feel anxious and irritable when you're unable to exercise. You might actually feel really dissatisfied with your body. You know, you're doing all this exercise, but it feels like it's never enough and you're still not getting the results you want. And you may just really struggle to concentrate with day-to-day things because you're always focused on maybe what's happened with your eating or what's happened with the exercising. So what's really important is face the situation head on, recognize how detrimental this has become to your daily life. And then what you can do as a first baby step is make a commitment to reduce your exercise regardless of your eating behavior. Now, we are going to be talking about tackling binge eating in a moment. So I really recognize you might be thinking, oh, I can't do that, you know, until I've thought about how I'm going to work my binge eating. I think in itself, just taking that step to recognize that your exercise is not healthy and to think about what's a baby step to cut down can be really impactful. So what might your first step be? So it might be reducing your daily step count. And if you're feeling really brave, you can even remove your fitness tracker. Now, if you haven't got a fitness tracker, I'm certainly not recommending that you go out and buy one if you struggle with any form of overexercise or disordered eating, because it's so triggering. So yeah, have a think about that. Could you reduce your step count? Could you remove your fitness tracker? Could you just take out one of your workouts every week? Could you go for a walk maybe instead of doing an intense workout? Or when you go to the gym or whatever exercise you do, could you reduce the time spent working out? Now, when you think about doing this, you're going to feel really, really anxious initially. And this is because overexercise has become a safety behavior, which you turn to to reduce anxiety. Okay, but it's starting to take a step back and actually realizing that you're stuck in this horrible perpetuating cycle. 
So if every time you're feeling anxious, you feel you need to overexercise, it creates more anxiety, you're stuck in this horrible loop. And actually, by doing more of what you're doing at the moment, it's not going to help you break the cycle. So think about when you've done something scary before in your life, which is completely unrelated to food and unrelated to exercise. Think about how it was scary. Think about how you actually managed to take a risk, do something different, and you survived and you broke through and came out the other side. So, so much about interrupting this cycle is being prepared to take a baby step to do something different and then almost be able to live through it, gain the new information, realize I'm still here, nothing bad has happened, and all is well. Okay. And I know. Rationally, that can sound quite simple. Emotionally, it can be terrifying. So if you think about reducing your exercise, you might be kind of left climbing the walls. It's okay. It's normal. You will get through this. And people generally find that the thought of change is much worse than the actual change itself. So I'm going to repeat that. People generally find that the thought of change is much worse than the actual change itself. So hold that in your mind. You'll probably be catastrophizing about what's going to happen. Your head will be telling you all kinds of stories about how you won't manage. So you might need to have some support in place to help you manage the change. So maybe you can get a friend on board who's really understanding, who can keep you accountable. Maybe you need to even yeah, talk to someone, express what you're doing. Maybe you can like write in your journal about what's coming up for you. And you might even need to actively fill the time with an activity that offers distraction when you would have been exercising previously. So it might have to be something that keeps you sort of occupied, like an arts and crafts activity. It could be writing in your journal. It could be maybe just doing a less intense form of the exercise. So rather than going to the gym, going for a walk. Now, once you've adjusted the initial change, you can then think about what you might do next. Now, I'm always banging on about this. The baby steps add up to a great deal. You know, we always, always overestimate what we can achieve in the next two months. And we completely underestimate what we can achieve in the next year. If you start to reduce your exercise by a small amount, every week for the next year, just think about the cumulative impact of that. So don't be put off by making just little changes. Underwhelming changes sometimes are the best ones because they can be the sustainable ones. Sometimes doing too much too soon can leave you too far out of your comfort zone and then you retreat back to the old way of coping. So make that first step with reducing your exercise. It doesn't matter how small it is. So what about addressing binge eating? Now, binge eating happens across all the eating disorders and within disordered eating itself. So you can have anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, OSFED, or have disordered eating and be experiencing binge eating behavior. It's not unique to anyone eating disorder. Now, binge eating you know, I've been there myself with binge eating. I know what a debilitating and horrible behavior is to be caught in and how physically and mentally it's incredibly destructive. And some of the things that my clients said about binge eating, binge eating is a complete loss of control around food. It's not rational or conscious. And sometimes I can't even remember it happening. 
can have a really dissociative feel to it as though I've almost left the planet for a few moments or hours. It's like a frenzy of secretive eating. Nothing matters more in that moment but finding food and eating it. It feels like an addiction. Chocolate pastry, cereal, croissants, bread, every single thing that I have avoided with an iron rod of willpower for days, that is the food I eat. So with binge eating, sometimes binges can be planned like a ritual and can involve someone buying special binge foods, or they might be much more spontaneous and just happen out of the blue. And people may go to extreme lengths to access food. For example, even eating sort of discarded food that's been put in the bin or even stealing food. So binge eating creates an awful lot of shame. Now, when you binge eat fleetingly, you often feel euphoric and high from eating the food, but it doesn't tend to last very long. Quickly, a black looming cloud of shame descends and the reality of the situation sinks in. And then you might think, what have I done? You might feel guilty. You might feel disgusted with yourself. You might feel a high degree of self-loathing. And often I think as well, every time we binge, we often think this will be the very last time. And of course, this intention, it doesn't really last because of we're in a cycle of binge eating. And very quickly, we find ourselves kind of back in that cycle again, feeling out of control, eating, eating and never satisfied. So after a binge, people often want to starve and purify their body from all the food. So sometimes you might vow not to eat for several days, but often that's really hard to do this. You know, as human beings, we need to eat regularly. So often, you know, we might try and starve for a bit, but that leads us back to binge eating and then leading it back to the over-exercise as well. After a binge, there's often a desire to burn off all the food. And then this can often be hours and hours on the treadmill or doing some form of relentless exercise that is exhausting. So if you want to reduce your over-exercise, working on the binge eating can be such a valuable first step. But as I said, it is a bit of a chicken and egg thing. So anyone that's listened to my podcast episodes before will have a bit more of an understanding about what can trigger binge eating, but I'm going to sort of go into it in a bit more depth here now. So what causes binge eating? So I guess there's the physiological triggers, you know, people with binge eating disorder or, you know, or who are binging in whatever their eating disorder usually restrict their diet or put certain dietary rules around food. And the binge eating then physiologically is quite often driven due to hunger, physical deprivation, and also mental deprivation. And also as well, emotional triggers are very significant. And often, even though binge eating may have started off due to physiological triggers, very quickly emotional triggers kick in and people might binge in response to sadness, anger, loneliness, even feeling happy. And often people with that binge eating are out of touch with their emotions. You know, food is the sort of turn to before the emotion is even felt. So we've got the physiological triggers and we've got the emotional triggers. So first of all, trying to deal with the physiological triggers is the helpful part to reduce binge eating because if you don't stabilize your body's physiology, it's almost like you're on a tightrope and you're not going to have any emotional resilience to deal with the emotional stuff that life throws at you. So first of all, it's trying to see dietary restraint as the problem. 
Binge eating rarely springs from nowhere. Once you've been doing it for a while, it certainly has a habitual element to it and triggers become more emotional, more habitual. But at least initially, it's normally preceded by some kind of restricted eating or dietary restraint. And you might think, well, I'm not dieting, so that's not me. Now, I have worked with so many people who think they're not dieting and maybe they're not on some crazy like 400 or 800 calorie like starvation regime. However, there may still be lots of rules in place and they're probably not eating enough. So dietary restraint can take a number of forms. So one of them is delaying eating. So someone will often just say, you know, I'm not hungry now. I'll just wait a bit longer. You know, I don't want to start eating because once I start eating, I feel I lose control. So let's just look at my fictional client, Jane. So Jane would miss breakfast to delay eating as long as possible. She would then push back lunch in an attempt to reduce the amount of food over the day. So she might not be eating lunch for two or three, then pushing back dinner to maybe 9 p.m. if she could make it through to then. So what she will be doing is just trying to keep pushing back the eating because of this strong fear that once I start eating, then I just can't stop. But actually what happens is when we delay eating, delay eating, delay eating, we've often got over hungry. So then actually when we come to eat, we feel really out of control. So it's a form of dietary restraint. The second form of dietary restraint is eliminating food groups. So definitely in recent years, carbohydrates have often been seen as the enemy. In the olden days, it was more fats. So it's so common that someone who binge eats is following a diet where certain food groups have been really reduced or maybe eliminated. And it's so common to for people not to be eating enough carbohydrate, perhaps trying to fill up on protein and vegetables. And this isn't usually sustainable and leaves out as well that kind of yum, yum pleasure factor that we really need from eating. So, for example, my fictional client, Emma, she started out with healthy eating and then her diet had been reduced to protein shakes, vegetables, fruit and not a lot else. Not eating enough healthy fats or carbohydrates, you know, just a very sort of like limited and not very pleasurable eating plan. So eliminating food groups as well, you know, that can make us feel physiologically deprived, but also really mentally deprived because actually carbohydrates are really quite yummy and delicious and they give us that release of serotonin. They make us feel good as well. So when we're kind of eliminating them from our diet, we don't feel as good and we can start to kind of crave them. And again, it can really magnify that binge eating response. And then the third form of dietary restraints, the more obvious, like the under eating, dieting, restricting, counting calories, not eating enough generally for your body's needs. So the tricky thing is, is if you binge eat regularly, you'll regularly see then the dietary restraint as the solution because you'll think, oh my goodness, I've binged. What I need to do is restrict again to use the dietary restraint to kind of correct that binge eating behavior. But If you do that by trying to gain control, by introducing more rules, et cetera, et cetera, it's not sustainable. And you inevitably end up binging again and the cycle continues and it is horrible. And we know from the Minnesota starvation study that when the human body is deprived of food, binging is often one of the inevitable outcomes. So I think if you're struggling with binge eating, you start to think it's something about me. I have no willpower. I have completely messed up my hunger and fullness cues. 
But we know from the Minnesota starvation study that if a human being is starved of food, binge eating often happens. And this is along with the constant preoccupation with food, tiredness, feeling cold. And when you deprive your body of the energy it needs to survive and maintain proper function, it will scream out for this deficit to be replenished. You'll crave, you'll dream, and you will obsess about food all day long. Now, of course, this has an evolutionary survival advantage for us. Our ancestors would have been regularly faced with fluctuating availability of food. So we are programmed to restore the deficit of energy experienced in the famine when food is then available in the feast. Your body will fight back. So if you genuinely want to stop binge eating, you need to accept that you need to give up on dietary restraints. So you might think, oh, my goodness, if I'm not restricting my eating, though, what do I do instead? So this is the unsexy recovery work that feels really boring and uninspiring, but really genuinely works and helps you to begin to eliminate binge eating. So you need to adopt a regular eating pattern to help stabilize your blood sugar. Dieting leads to low blood sugar and then ferocious cravings for food that are almost impossible not to act on. So what I say with clients is work towards eating three meals and three snacks per day, spreading these out at regular intervals. So you always know that you've got another eating episode ahead and you want to be including all the food groups. So proteins, fats and carbohydrates so that your body has a chance to be satiated and that your blood sugar is stabilized. Now, there is no miracle combination of foods that's going to stop you binging. But we know that kind of eating enough, eating all the food groups is going to help. Now, I remember when I first began to eat regularly again after months of dieting, although it was very, very, very scary and felt far too much. It was also a relief to be able to respond to hunger and to actually feel a bit of a sense of satisfaction and fullness for eating rather than always running on empty. And just to say as well, when you first start regular eating, it's really normal as well that you'll want to kind of keep eating more and you will feel a bit out of control around food. But again, this is your body's response to having had food restricted. And if you genuinely continue consistently with regular eating, that will really start to reduce. I really promise you. So by stabilizing blood sugar and eating regularly, you can then start to deal with the physiological side of the binge eating problem. You might get the urge to binge emotionally, but when your body's physiology is stable, it gives you a firm foundation to make other changes from. And apart from the regular eating bit, you can also start to move towards doing something that initially will be extremely challenging. And what this is, is to very slowly begin to reintroduce your old forbidden foods back in one food at a time. Because if you completely ban certain foods and see them as naughty or forbidden, you will want to eat them more. It's so normal, that kind of mental deprivation. As human beings, we do not like it. So short term, you might feel absolutely terrified of doing this and want to gorge on these foods that you've been depriving yourself of. But this is a natural backlash against the deprivation. And again, it is temporary. And sadly, you can't avoid this slightly kind of messy, difficult patch of recovery you know, to find a more peaceful place for food. The only way out of this is through. 
But I promise you that with time, this works. You have to, though, sometimes reintroduce foods really, really slowly. So, for example, with me, there was definitely, I used to be a kind of okay, like reintroducing things like chocolate, chocolate cake, probably as well, things like pizza, fish and chips. I didn't find those too challenging, but I used to find things like pastries, croissants, muffins, super challenging. They were really on my old forbidden food list. Now today I can eat them freely. I do not feel controlled by them. I feel like I can enjoy one or two if I'm extra hungry and I have a very peaceful relationship. But I had to really reintroduce them slowly. And sometimes it was just like buying one portion of the food, planning it in, sitting down at a table, eating it mindfully, having a distraction, maybe sometimes eating with others. All those things really, really help. So longer term, if you practice your regular eating, you will feel more flexible around food and you'll slowly be able to move more towards intuitive eating as well. But firstly, you need to concentrate on the regular eating. You can't run before you can walk. So the third point about dealing with your binge eating is developing awareness of your emotions and thoughts. So First, you need to get your physiology stable. Otherwise, it's so hard to deal with your emotions when you are hungry, when your blood sugar is not stable, when you're so preoccupied with food. So what you can use in helping develop greater awareness of your emotions and thoughts is the food and feelings diary. So this is not my fitness pal. You're not counting calories or macros or judging food for its health benefits. Instead, it's a fantastic tool to help you gain valuable understanding and insight into your eating behavior. So what you do is you record the food eaten, the time of day, where you are, your hunger levels, your feelings, your thoughts, and any significant events. So you may have kept diaries before that were very food focused. This is different. It is a compassionate tool to help you become more curious and self-aware. It helps you understand your relationship with food so you can begin to have better awareness. And once you gain awareness, you're in a much stronger position to consider change. And you can also really learn about your emotional triggers. So maybe you eat when you're bored. Maybe you eat when you're happy, when you're sad or anxious or scared or angry. And you might have no clue at the moment about what your real triggers are for eating. But once you start recording, your awareness will start to really increase. And you do this without judgment. It's not about beating yourself up when you notice that you've turned to food to deal with an emotion. It's more like a gentle awareness and just noticing, oh, that's so interesting. You know, when I'm really anxious, I always turn to food. So that just really shows me that I have a need there to be able to soothe myself when I'm anxious, maybe in a different way. And it's not to say that all emotional eating is wrong, but if we always turn to food as our number one way of self-soothing, then that is more problematic. So you can start to really consider as well, when you identify the link between emotions and eating, you can think, what is it that I really need in these moments? Do I actually need food? You know, it might be that you've become hungry and you need to fuel yourself. Can you start to name your feelings? Can you respond helpfully to them? Can you reach out for help maybe if you're really struggling? 
Now, if you find this area particularly tricky and you feel so dissociated from your feelings, you might want to think about having some counselling or at least talking more openly to a friend and sharing some of your vulnerabilities. And I guess as well, if you're going to be open with a friend, it's really important that you open up to someone you can really trust, someone who's accepting and a good listener. So alongside connecting more with your emotions as well, it's about thinking about your thoughts So with 60,000 plus thoughts a day running through your mind, many of these being repetitive, you will understand the power of your thinking. Our thoughts, mood and behavior are all interlinked. Now, you're probably having a lot of thoughts every day which don't help you make the changes you are hoping for in terms of managing binge eating or overexercise. So you might think, oh, my God, I've blown it when you eat the cookie. And then you'll feel anxious and you might then punish and eat more than ever. You might think, I'm too fat, I hate my body. You then feel disgusted. So then you restrict and then you binge and you overexercise again. You might think as well, things like people are looking at me. You're kind of mind reading, thinking that people are thinking negative things. And then this leaves you feeling really ashamed, withdraw from others, you turn to food to soothe and you're back in that overexercise cycle again. So becoming more aware of your thoughts can be an illuminating process. The Food and Feelings Diary can be a brilliant way to shine a light on unhelpful thought patterns. And through this awareness, you begin to notice how you talk to yourself. And it's so common that people with disordered eating can be incredibly self-punishing and self-critical when this, in fact, then just keeps the binge eating going. You may be very unkind, punishing and critical of yourself. You may feel that you never meet your standards. Being judgmental and unkind doesn't help you. You might hope that it will drive you into action, but usually it simply demoralizes you and keeps you stuck and helpless. So instead, you begin to think about how you can be a bit kinder to yourself and your thoughts, actions and behaviors. Now, we all respond to kindness and encouragement much more positively than beating ourselves up and judging ourselves which leaves us feeling helpless and like giving up. And think about if you were trying to encourage a friend, you wouldn't go in with all the judgment and harsh criticism, would you? You'd be really encouraging them to make the change, to be accepting. You'd be cheerleading them on. And actually, you absolutely deserve the same. So I hope that section of this podcast has given you some insight into how to stop binge eating. So In summary, stopping the dietary restraint because it will only inevitably lead to binge eating. Focus on eating in a way that promotes stable body physiology. So that's regular eating all the food groups and slowly, slowly reintroducing your forbidden foods one food at a time. And then also becoming more aware of your emotions and your thoughts because self-awareness is just amazing knowledge and it is the first point of change. And just to say with that as well, Change is a very frustrating process. I can think in my own journey how I had to go through almost excruciating self-awareness without change for quite a bit before I was able to make the change. So I would kind of regularly find myself back in the position of thinking, oh, I've done that thing again. There I go again. And noticing what I was doing, but not being able to make the change at that point. But I just want to encourage you that that is part of the process of change. The more that you become self-aware, you're taking baby steps to actually be able to put the change into practice. So don't be disheartened. Self-awareness is such a key 
part of the journey. So thirdly, once you begin to reduce your binge eating, you can work further on challenging your relationship with exercise and movement. Now, it's very common if you have an eating disorder that you'll be completely out of tune with your body and its signals. You might regularly push yourself to exhaustion, over hunger, not resting, always doing, doing, doing. You'll be driven by that eating disorder voice to keep going no matter what. You'll be driven by that internal critic who chastises you for not being productive and calls you lazy, even if you think about sitting down. So then your own inner quiet and healthy voice may have been drowned out entirely. You probably don't hear it anymore. And if you do, you don't trust it one bit. So if you find yourself on some days absolutely exhausted beyond measure, ravenously hungry and wanting to binge eat, you're likely ignoring your body's signals in the preceding days. And then suddenly your body is shouting loudly and it's almost impossible to ignore those signals any longer. So it's much harder to meet your own needs well when you're pushed to breaking point. So we can talk about my fictional client here, Becky. So Becky felt she had to go to the gym every single day. It became a weary should. She was dragging herself there even when she was feeling ill or had had a late night the day before and desperately wanted to lay in. Now, Becky used to love the gym and enjoyed the buzz of it. But now just thinking about it left her with a sinking feeling. But she didn't dare not go. She worried what would happen if she didn't follow her routine. She worried that she might gain weight in an out-of-control fashion. She was worried about what she would do with the time that the gym took up. She was fearful of the unknown. Now, on the other hand, Becky had become so miserable with her regime that she was willing to risk a change. She started very small and managed to start reducing her activity. Now, Becky was incredibly anxious when reducing her activity, but it was also such a relief to step away from what had become daily self-punishment. And Becky started to keep an exercise diary. She recorded how much activity she was doing. She then worked to keep reducing it bit by bit. And she also recorded her feelings and thoughts in the diary. She realized that although her anxiety was high, There were also other benefits creeping in of reducing exercise, which she was able to notice by keeping the record. She started to sleep much better, found that her energy levels began to improve. She also noticed that her hunger felt more manageable as the overactivity had driven her to regular binging. She began to feel less uptight day by day and was able to focus and enjoy things more. And her fears about weight gain or losing control were in fact unfounded. Becky, in fact, felt more in control as she wasn't always thinking about the next time she had to be active. So try to move away from seeing activity as something that has to be done to burn off calories eaten, because it leads to a very all or nothing relationship with exercise, because you're either doing it well or you then abandon it completely. So move towards seeing activity as something for mental well-being as well as physical. Think about decreased anxiety, improved mood, better body image and sleep and get curious about the different activities you could try. And it might be time to be brave, to embrace something different out of your comfort zone. You could do dance or yoga or climbing or a team sport or circus skills even. What would work for you? And it might mean that you have to step away from the gym or somewhere else that has actually become quite toxic for you, at least for a while. And you might need to choose an activity where there's a time limit. For example, a class, if you feel that you might be tempted to exercise without limits. 
And it might take a little while to transition towards a different relationship with exercise. Don't give up, though. It's absolutely worth it. So in summary, being stuck in a cycle of over-exercising and binge eating is exhausting. Being active and moving your body is wonderful for your mental and physical well-being. But when it becomes a compulsion, it's destructive, it's not healthy, it's impacting your physical and mental health, and it probably takes hours of your day. So number one, get real about your overactivity and the impact on your life and think about a first baby change to reduce it. Commit to reducing this overactivity. Number two, work on reducing binge eating behavior. Reduce the dietary restraint. Eat regularly and stabilize blood sugar. And if it just feels overwhelming, just take some baby steps and very slowly reintroduce your forbidden foods and notice your emotional triggers. And finally, work to change your relationship with movement. Start to listen to your body and begin to trust its signals. Think about engaging in movement that is joyful and fun and value the mental health benefits of doing activity to keep mind and body in a good place. So I hope you found this episode helpful. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.